Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. Your on-the-go bite of the food and beverage industry. Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. My name is Grant McCarran, and today I'm once again joined by Kim Berry, the editor of Food and Drink Business and the host of this show. G'day, Kim. How are you doing today? Hi, Grant. I'm really well. Also, I mean, not that this will matter once this goes to air, but it's a Friday. So yeah. it's very exciting. I know. It's, it's odd. We don't normally record on a Friday. I know. And then the only other thing that is making me even more excited is our guests today. Since we started the podcast, and in fact, since I joined Food and Drink Business in 2019, everyone who I speak to has said, have you spoken to this person who we're going to talk to? Have you, you've got to get them on. You've got to talk to them. You've got to do a feature. You've got to, and then when we started the podcast, it was like, have you had, you've got to have them on. And it's taken this long, but we're here. Today, we have basically one of the absolute leading lights within the Australian food and beverage manufacturing sector, Yem Fuchsberger. She is the founder and CEO of Coco and Lucas, and we also are joined by David Vu, the general manager for the company. Now, Yem came to Australia as a refugee when she was nine years old, after what can only be termed a terrifying escape from Vietnam. It took six years for her parents and four siblings to be granted a visa to live in Australia, and once here, life was still far from easy. No English, no belongings, living with 15 others in a three-bedroom house and then navigating a new life in a new country after really significant and deep trauma. These things could blithely be likened to the building blocks of Yem's indomitable spirit. But I always liken her to a shark in that sharks never sleep. (laughs) She never (laughs) sleeps. I don't think she ever sleeps. Yem and David like, it's so great to have you on. Welcome. Hi, Kim. Hi, Kim. Thank you so, so much for having us on the podcast. Thank you. Oh, look, it's um, it's such a fascinating, I mean, the background story is fascinating, but that we could do in a whole series of podcasts over about, I don't know, <laughs> like a 10-week, a 10-week series or something. <laughs> and so we're actually going to shuffle right up to 2016, which is when you first sort of started to launch into Coco and Lucas. And I should say, before we really get into this story, they started in 2016. It's now 2023 and there are eight products in the range uh, and they're um, stockists and uh, retail like um, loadings uh, just seem to be growing by the week. It's so fantastic to watch. And I'm going to stop blathering now. Can you tell I'm a bit of a fan? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yem, tell us about that, the, the genesis of Coco and Lucas when it, when it began. Coco and Lucas was born out of the inspiration of my simply my daughter. She's a fussy eater. And then my nephew, who is um, who had all these allergens, he was born like he wasn't able to, to Lucas, who wasn't able to have anything that has lupin, seed, gluten, lactose, fish, soya. So that's, that's the, the, the Coco Lucas Ram was born out of those two inspiration. It started with the junior foodies for kids between 3 to 12 years old. Yeah. And we started the 10 SKUs in 300 store in Melbourne State in Woolworths. That's how it started. Can I take it even back a bit further, yes. Yim? So yes. 
um, in 2016, Kim, um, Yim was actually just building up a factory and she said to me, she called me up and she said, hey, Dave, I, I want to create a new range for Woolworths meals. I want to get a frozen meals, but I don't know what to launch. So um, I actually went down to Woolworths and did a bit of research for her and looked in the freezer. And I went back to Yim and I said, you know, the way you cook for your dog, because she cooks immaculate food for a dog, I said, if you can replicate this, you know, for the parents of Australia, this is what you should be launching because the care and stuff you put into, you know, your fussy eating, your daughter and your, your children and your dog, you know, if you can replicate this, it's going to help a lot of parents who just, you know, struggling to, you know, with, with a few kids who have, you know, different um, dietary requirements and fussy eaters. I go, this is what you should do. And then she took that idea and she went off and created Coco and Lucas. Um, and at the time, it was a gap in the market because when we looked at the freezer, there was only one other range that was doing kids' meals, but they were really focusing on the zero to uh, three months, three years. Three years, yes. And you saw this opportunity to create a range from four to 12. 12. Like the junior foodies. Yeah. And and I think that we really own that name, the junior foodies. We really started it because, um, you know, I saw an, an abundance of um, meals for kids between um, six months to three years old, and there's an abundance of meals for adults, but there was a gap. And I've always wanted to come in with a gap, something differently compared to other people. So because we more we have to stand out. So that that's how it started. And now looking back, yeah. And so obviously it was well received or did you were, did you have a moment of holding your breath or did, did it really just take off? It, I, Kim, to be honest, I, I never had any idea what the word FMCG means, fast-moving consumer goods. I thought, oh, I'm in Woolworths, it's going to go off the shelf. So it is overwhelming because I didn't understand about, you know, promotions and sales and marketing and social media. So it is, it is like, honestly, I didn't really know what I really got myself into. But I think my fearlessness and naive and 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 not knowing also, if I knew too much, I probably wouldn't have done it. You know, so. I was just going to say it's like having a baby, isn't it? Like if you actually knew, then yes. that'd be it. We the the human race would die. Yes. So, so just to take it back, when I first started, my family was saying, "Yimmy, you're a refugee. You had no idea in FMCG. You're you're not the big brands. No one's going to buy your products." So to be honest, in the beginning. Like I've started the other business now that is now Kohlberg Ingredients. That's got 60 employees. It's a very robust, sold business. So when I first started, my family said, you're high risk. So they they said, no one's going to buy my product. So I think it gave me the motivation to work 10 times harder to prove to them that I'm not going to fail. So they did set I did. I'm actually, I was on my own with Coco Lucas. I, I created a separate company here. Right. Yeah. And yeah. like, and where were you? Where were you making this? Were you in a contract kitchen or you in like in your own kitchen? Like where was this happening? I, I have to say I did have an opportunity to do a range that is a fitness range. So I, I, I had a little try and then I built I, um, a tech calculator list. So with, without knowing what's going to be successful or not, we built a $2 million commercial kitchen. And, and and I just took the risk to do that because I, I simply have one, three things in my mind. People must eat. And I had a mentor that said to me, Yimmy, if you can produce food that is well-being, nutritious, honest, homemade, 
and it's under $10. It doesn't matter if you're in the recession, it's going to sell, you know. So I, I simply have to, uh, like I said, I just want to always, when I was a little girl, I always want to be in that trolley. And because I've always spent a lot of time going to the supermarket for my mind, I always want to be in the trolley and I always want to be in the truck. So the three things that adds together for me is people must eat under $10, under $5 for kids, in the trolley, into the truck. I, I just assume that model will work for me. And that's that's how I kept on going here. Yeah. Just to add in there, Kim, um, Yim's actually my auntie as well. So, you know, so it is, it is a full family business that we work in. Um, I love it. And I always think I wasn't going to say that at first. I thought I'd leave that to, to you <laughs> to, to throw in at some point. And, uh, but I mean, I think there's a lot of, there are a lot of very successful uh, family-based businesses out there, uh, you know, Mars for one of them. Yep. <laughs> yes. yes. But um, to add to that, um, you know, seeing my auntie have this vision and this drive and this fearlessness in driving of uh, creating a brand when you know, a lot of people didn't really believe in her you know she went out there and you know i was so impressed with what she did you know when she first started she didn't tell you but she wasn't she's not a brand that anyone knows in australia so when she went to the major supermarkets she couldn't even get a meeting um she would constantly email the category managers um, with no response and she tells me a story which i started laughing at which she caught up the switchboard at um, Woolworths and asked to be put through to the category manager. Um, and after harassing him for so long, he agreed to give her a, a meeting. And yeah, and that's how Coco and Lucas first started into wars yes. through that just tenacity and that drive to to make it happen. I think that's enough for me. So they just came <laughs> into <laughs> Should we talk? Do you want to talk more about the products? <laughs> So from that first for, from that first range, then then the next range you did was actually like a gluten and a lactose free range. Is that correct? Right. Yes. So the second range we launched was a gluten free and lactose free range, and we launched it in the junior foodies, which I think um, was sort of like the wrong way to uh, to launch it because for that category is under under the two million dollars, a uh, two million. Um, category consumer base so it didn't it only stayed onto the stores for one year and then um and then you know we we and then we've always worked collaboratively with the category buyer we always work with them so they've always said you mean then that's how earth was born because earth was we were working on alternative protein for two years quietly in the background and then one day, one of the category managers said to me, Yimi, why don't you do plant-based? And I said, well, I'm not practicing 100% vegan, even though I'm a butcher's daughter. And I went to do this OSME course and I came back and I changed my mind because when I realized the sustainable of how animals are raised and, you know, animal welfare, and I didn't realize that I've been practicing sustainability since I was six years old, like, you know, how I reduce, like my grandmother raised me to like reduce energy, reduce, um, she always keep on using her plastic bag 10 times or she go and buy me coffee but bring your cup with you. I didn't realise it was all sustainable and I realised my father didn't want us to sell meat. So it was the perfect opportunity for us to branch into plant-based alternative protein. So to, to go back to in 2017, we launched five alternative protein meals in 966 stores and they gave us something like three months 
at the first scheme, I didn't want to do because I didn't think I was a specialist. I said, why don't you ask someone who's a specialist? But they said, Yimi, we believe in you. So so that's how it was launched. So, right. And then after that, we launched the entertainment and snack range, Alternative Protein. So we were the first one. And then we launched in 2021 the, um, the Alternative Proteins for products. And then we... And then, Dave, yeah. you... So just to bring it back, Kim, um, yeah, in Yim's always been, you know, very conscious of sustainability, like she just mentioned. Like when she started Coke and Lucas, when we were doing junior foodies, um, she was already implementing, you know, fully recyclable packaging um, into the range. Because when she decided to launch the range, she was very conscious that, you know, these meals are going to be microwave in and then thrown away. So she, you know went out and found, designed her own tray because she couldn't find something in the market that matched what she wanted for her brand. She went out and patented her own trays, um, pulp um, recyclable trays that were fully recyclable. So that's where I guess the relationship with Woolies after they trusted us with the launch of Coke and Lucas came to us with the opportunity to be the first company to launch plant-based and sustainable um, food into the supermarkets. Yeah. So, And if you were launching your first sort of plant-based ranges that – I mean, obviously starting early and then coming and then, you know, continuing but coming back to it again in sort of 2021, that's that's right at the very sort of really at the beginning of the bell curve of, of plant-based really sort of taking off, wasn't it? Yeah, we, we, yes. were, the, we were the first company to be launching um, into a thousand stores, alternative ready meals into the supermarket. Yeah, so I had to tell you the story about the entertainment snack because we had to do spring rolls, money bags, um, the nuggets, and then the curry puffs, and then what was the last one is um, spring rolls. And we ordered $400,000 worth of machines from tai- Taiwan and COVID hit. It didn't arrive. We were rolling spring rolls by hand. We we rolled 1.6 million spring roll money bags and curry puffs by hand because we had to launch I'm serious. We were working 15 hours. We did not stay home for COVID at all. But because I'm a small business, I didn't want to ever let the retailers down. So we, the machine didn't arrive. We had to roll for each SKU about 350,000 units by hand. That, by- is, that is astounding. Once, yeah. once you're working with major retailers and you have an yes. order, like we yes. can never miss our deadlines. So yeah. Yeah. that was our commitment. Um we had a lot of fam- like a family business. We had a lot of family in here, <laughs> rolling spring rolls, um, yeah. making all the getting it all ready. Um, it was a ma- mammoth task, but we did we did hit it, and we got everything out to store in time yes. for the for the launch. So that is that is just crazy, uh, right? Yeah, <laughs> crazy. So yeah. please tell me that the machinery did arrive eventually. It did, <laughs> it did arrive, yes. Um, but more exciting for us, being a small company, on the back of the innovation, after we launched uh, our Ready Meals Meat Alternatives in 2019, um, in 2020, we started really looking at innovation in the plant-based space because, you know, Beyond uh, Beyond Meats and Impossible Burgers were all out there really launching, um, you know, burgers and that kind of stuff. So we wanted to look at different things that we can launch in the market and give people different options besides burgers. Because not everyone wants to eat a burger, so yeah, yeah. Well, that was one of the big things, wasn't it? You know, people don't want a sausage, don't necessarily want mince, a burger, or a sausage. Like, so how else are we? You know, what else can you offer? So um, on the back of that, we really innovated in that space. We launched four um, 
alternative proteins. We launched a schnitzel, fish fingers, a mince, and um, sausage and sausages. Um, yeah. Yep, so this, you know, because that's what kind of people just give people opportunities to create their own plant-based meals rather than eating what we were already making. So. I mean, as I was just saying, not everyone wants to eat a burger or a sausage, or but it's that whole concept of the uncanny valley, isn't it, where you have what people are familiar with and then what's new and you're trying to get them across that valley to be buying these new types of products. And, um, and, and what was your, what, what's been the response for, for you with your brands? It was definitely challenging, Kim, and it's something that, you know, we've learned along the way to really understand you know, the vegan community, you know, understand what people want to eat. So, for example, when we did launch the, the entertainment range in 2020, um, I think it was a bit too early for the market. So adoption of, you know, eating plant-based snacks and stuff was quite new. So, you know, we did win an AFR award um, recognised for that innovation as a small business, which was massive for us um, on the back of that. But although we had all this hype, the market wasn't ready for that adoption or was too new. So... The range only lasted for about a year in market in Australia. But what we've seen now um, with the products, we actually started exporting it to New Zealand in 2020, the year after, you know, with not much, with not much really excitement because we thought, oh, you know, it didn't do well that well in Australia. You know, these people want to buy it. We don't know how long it's going to last in New Zealand. But within a year, we in New Zealand was adopting it um, at the right time and we, we sold about 12 40-foot containers to them within 12 months. So yes. just the timing of, you know, of things is also important, not only the products that you're making, it's just making sure that the market's ready for it um, and people are ready to accept and try it. So, yes. yeah. So, Kim, there's not a day in our lab that we don't work on plant-based because I think in the long run there's not really practically enough land to to raise the animals, you know. So we, we believe in plant-based it's not going to go away but we need to offer because we have to listen to our our client which is the retailers they give us data so we understand and then we have to listen to our consumer every single consumer that gives us feedback we have to take it very seriously and the community so we want to just simply make plant-based food that tastes delicious at the end of the day People are not going to come back and buy it if it's not delicious and relatable. So we want it to be packed with a lot of goodness, alternative to proteins, low in sodium, high in protein and fibre. So we, 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 we're launching, uh, we wanted to launch, we just uh, created a new uh, tempura fish, uh, gyozas, dumplings and tender. So we, have, you know, we want to offer food that people will eat it and go, wow, and keep on coming back for more and it has to be very moorish and you know we have to keep in mind that it has to cost less than me yes right which which has so, been one of the real challenges hasn't it yes well we we worked our way because we work really hard because we we're listening to our consumer and you know with all the inflation we have to be sensitive and mindful of how people spend so we we want to continue and be committed to giving people um you know like good value because everyone wants good value. So it's, it means that we take a lesser margin and I, I'm quite happy with that. And I yeah. think that's the misconception about plant-based and meat eating and the, the price parity, you know, for the innovation, the work that goes into creating a plant-based meat alternative that tastes great and has all the textures and flavours, it's actually more difficult than it just, you know, getting a piece of steak which has that all inbuilt naturally into it. 
um, for us to, you know, really engineer and make that into a, a product that doesn't have too many ingredients into it, into creating a texture that people expect and are wanting. Yes. Um, so it's a, it's a massive challenge, which we love coming to work on every day. <laughs> there's such a, um, there seems to be such a, a feeling in the market at the moment that, you know, this sort of plant-based has, the sort of hype has died off. And I mean, you know, and I mean, there's been all manner of sort of hyperbole around that. Uh, so how does, from a manufacturer's point of view, where you can see the long-term benefits of this versus, say, a retailer who's really looking at turnover now and this year and, and moving products off the shelf, na- shelf now. How, how do you navigate that? We try to balance it. We know that we do very well in the plant-based meals and we'll, we'll continue to do that. We do work with a lot of partners in the plant-based industry, so unfortunately we can't reveal the companies because it's very high profile because of respect. But we always, like I said, every day, like I think if we launch the dumplings and the gyozas and, and the fish, like we, we can sell that into restaurants, hotels, uh, into food service. So I think this is going to be the first year we're going to concentrate into food service. Right. Have you done so? That, and is that a first for you guys? Have you done that with any of your other products, or it is the first for us? So we need to actually we're recruiting someone to look after food service because I think if I can, um, you know, it will be a lot of investment to to get people to taste the products. And I have to say, I am new in food service, but if I'm going to dedicate my time into that area like QSR, we have to concentrate and dedicate our time and understand the chefs. And I think when you're working with the chefs, they're like artists. Talk to them, like work with them, ask them what they need, not saying, oh, this is for my five products, take it or leave it. Not what works like that. You know, everything is about understanding your partnership scheme. Like I think that's what we are very good at. We we work with people on a very personal level, understanding what they need and, and, and then giving the chef what they need so they can make beautiful products for plant-based. I think I think that's how I'm gonna approach plant-based in the, the food service area. But we yeah. in overall in the category, Kim, like, you know, Yim and I have been working really hard to really keep the conversation going about plant-based because it's not going away. Yeah. You know, it's, it's definitely <laughs> slowed down. And as a manufacturer and, you know, producer of, you know, plant-based products, we, we're aware that the retailers are actually slowing down on uptaking any new plant-based innovations or NPD into the supermarkets. So, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of sad because then, you know, people who are vegan or looking to flex across have less options to do so. Um, exactly. You, we revert back to, you know, what it was like where if you wanted to, if you were a vegan or if you wanted a plant-based protein, there was, you know, a very small selection for you to choose from. And I think no one doubted that the market would have to, con, you know, sort of um, contract. You, you, but that's the same with any new market. You start off with, you know, 50 new players and you end up with 15. And I and I think it's been really fascinating to watch the, the dialogue around this, particularly from the, probably, you know, more conventional protein markets of just like, well, the, you know, this is, this is what should have happened as opposed to, I can understand it, but I think it's uh, quite short-sighted. Yes, and may I add something a little bit personal? Because I think plant-based, I think for us, we we have a place still is because we didn't raise any money. We did it from our heart. 
We did every single day. We work hard to give some, because, you know, plant-based is new to people. And when you offer it, it has to taste nice. So we took out time to offer something that was honest and genuine. I think plant-based is plant-based. It's got to be done with a lot of kindness and heart. We didn't have the time pressure to produce um, a product. We want to produce good quality product that people will eat. So I think that also helped us um, still have a, a place in the, the category. That's, that's how I feel. Yeah, so I think that's a really that's a really interesting comment because that's then leading into the whole beyond just the type of protein into actually our entire future food processing system which everyone is in agreement has to change. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like you know we're hearing from our New Zealand counterparts and around the world, you know, on the back of COVID, everyone was home, you know, meat was really expensive. So everyone started eating a lot of chicken, for example. And then we started seeing now the repercussions of that or the consequences of eating too much, overeating the chicken. There's shortages of chicken at the moment, shortages on eggs, all the prices are going up. So, you know, our New Zealand counterparts were asking us to really look at innovating in that chicken space to really, you know, the fill the gaps and stuff that potentially might occur if the continuing of cost of price of chicken and stuff goes up, that there's an alternative there. That's about yeah, and we don't we don't actually have much more time, but I did want to touch on uh, something that we were talking about before we started recording, which was developing more gluten free products as well. And you were saying that there's a real demand for that. Yeah, yeah. we've we've seen a massive surge over the last um, year and a half. There are a lot of some, uh, requests for submissions have been in that gluten free space. Um, a lot of celiacs and stuff are actually finding it really hard to shop for meals for themselves or ready meals alternatives um, for themselves in the supermarkets. Supermarkets are really looking at focusing on providing those health requirements for those for those customers and actually creating a doors where customers don't have to go look searching for it. So it's just a gluten-free door in each of their supermarkets. So Yeah, dedicated to it. So we, we are working on gluten-free in the last six months, yeah. concentrating on that. We're very and, excited. We just we're yeah. about to launch this um, our first foray into Coles, which we're launching two new gluten free products um, this month, actually in July. So in, very excited. Yeah, in eight hundred and thirty eight stores. Yeah. Oh, is that all? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you two. See, see, dear listener, we could, I, I could talk to these two all day, all day long. Likewise, um, yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> that. Um, it's just so wonderful to finally have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for your giving us your time this morning. Um, and, uh, yeah, I know that your time is very precious indeed. <laughs> thank you so much, Kim, and thanks so much, Matt. Thank you. Thanks so much for having us. Well, thanks, Yem and Dave. It's been great to have you. Thanks, Kim. And of course, thanks to our audience for joining us today. Don't forget, if you've enjoyed what you've heard, you can follow this podcast in your favourite podcatcher to ensure you get every episode as they're released. But we'll be back in the not-too-distant future with another informative discussion. But until then, have a great day. You've been listening to the Food and Drink Business Podcast, produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Food and Drink Business, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of food and drink business, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast's audio, please contact us via our website or send an email 
to editor at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's food and beverage industry at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast.